0: Hey there, welcome to the FBCA College Podcast. My name is Connor Torrealba, and I'm the college minister here at First Baptist Church Arlington. This podcast is a recording of our teaching times that happen every Thursday at 7.30 at the Student Center of First Baptist Church Arlington. Last week, we looked at Galatians 5, 13 through 21, and the focus was on what it looks like to live out a healthy relationship with God, walking by the Spirit. This week, we looked at Galatians 5, through 26 and focus in on the fruit of the spirit. Our big idea was that the fruit of the spirit is not so much a checklist for our lives, but rather a description for what our lives could look like if we walk by the spirit. So these are the fruits that we can look forward to. I hope that you find this lesson helpful. One of my favorite trips that we've ever taken, at least Patience and I, uh, is our trip to Iceland. We went there in February of 2022, and it's been a place that we've been wanting to go for forever, and we had this whole list of things that we wanted to see. And really, I think that a key reason why we wanted to go there was we had heard it was so great. And we'd seen things online, we'd seen descriptions of it, We'd watch the vlogs and everything I'm like, man, if only we could go there. Um, and so we had our planning in place. We had our itinerary. We traveled uh, in the midst of COVID times. So we had to do like tests in the middle of the night in Iceland. But it all was worth it because of the things that we got to see. Uh, the things that patients really wanted to see were black sand beaches. Uh, so these are like beaches that are, all the sand is from volcanic soil. Uh, it's really incredible to get to see. You feel like you're on another planet when you get there. Um, I wanted to see incredible landscapes as well. But something that was on both of our lists was a place called Blue Lagoon. Has anybody heard of Blue Lagoon in Iceland? Um, It's an incredible resort that's there. And it's this, uh, like a hot spring that's in the middle of like the tundra. And there's all these like rocky mountains around it and snow and volcanic soil and everything. And um, it looks a lot like that around this hot spring. Uh, It's all heated by, like, a geothermal plant and everything. And they have a resort that's there at this hot spring. And you can opt for the fancier package, or you can just go for the day and just, like, enjoy the hot spring. We opt for the fancier package because we're bougie like that a little bit. Um, But we were like, you know what? When is the next time that we're going to be at Blue Lagoon? So we might as well spring for the fancier package. And never in my life have I experienced such luxury. Like, getting to the place and, like, signing in and the person saying, oh, yes right this way, sir. It was incredible. Like, if you've never been right this way, sir, before in your life, or ma'am, it's pretty cool. Uh, It's not happened much since. Um, But after we check in, we got this cool, like, wristband that let us, like, scan into certain places, and we got our own special towels, and it was cool. Um, But you get changed into your swimsuit, and then you get into the water, and I have a photo of kind of what Blue Lagoon looks like. Uh, Ooh, uh, it's pretty cool. And so the water has this, like, pale blue color to it that just has to do from like the natural like minerals in the area and stuff like that. It's really hot water, which is nice because it's all snowy around it. But uh, when you get into the water, it has this like weird soft kind of texture to it. it this is a bad analogy. No, I'm not going to do that. I was going to say like, it's kind of like swimming in milk, but that wouldn't help, right? That's That would be a thing where you're like, now I'm not into it. Uh, but it's this like weirdly soft water that uh, you get to get into. It's really good for your skin. They give you face masks that they make from, like, the natural, like, dirt around or something like that. I don't know how it works, but it was fun. Uh, They gave us different face masks we got to wear and, like, wash off in the water and everything, Um, and it was incredible. At the end of the time that you're in Blue Lagoon, you go back to your hotel room if you've got the resort package like we did. Um, You go back to your hotel room, and it's just, like, I've never been so relaxed in my life. It was incredible. Doesn't that sound good in the midst of, like, all the tests you're going through right now? Do you just transport all of us to Blue Lagoon? My goodness. Uh, it's, a lot, it's a lot of fun. If you can ever go, my goodness, like, spring for it. Just make it happen. It's so, so worth it. Uh, going to the Lagoon was on our checklist. Uh, but we wanted to go there because of pictures like that and the stuff that we'd heard about it. Um, and it just painted a picture of, man, I want to be in that place. So we're in a series right now on fruitfulness. We're talking about what does it mean to live a fruitful Christian life. And if you recall, uh, we have a definition of fruitfulness, which is this, faithful obedience and patient trust in God for growth. If you want to live a fruitful life, fruitfulness looks like this. It looks like some obedience. It looks like a patient trust in him. And last week, we looked at Galatians 5, 13 through 21, if you remember. Um, And what we talked about was like the idea of the book of Galatians, it's Paul's sassiest letter. Uh, He's very annoyed at the Galatians because they're going the wrong direction. The goal of this was to correct those Galatians on their mindset. Because the Galatians really, they wanted this. This is what the Galatians wanted. They wanted to do the right thing and be on right standing with God. That's a good thing, right? We can all agree with that. We all probably want that as well. But they were going about it in the wrong way. Throughout this letter, Paul points that simply trying to adhere to the law or to a set of things to do so that we would have good works or whatever is not the goal of faith. It's not the point of why we have faith in Jesus. And we'll see this even further in our passage tonight. Uh, we're in Galatians 5, through 26. So flip on over there in case you're not there like me. And when you're there, say word. word. We're getting there. Galatians 5, 22 through 26. It says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The Galatians believed, as we know, if you've read the book before, um, they believed that honoring God and being in right standing with God was rooted in the Old Testament, doing some things right. Their, Their thing that they had wrong in their head, even though they wanted this, was that if you were a real Christian you would do the works of the law. You could believe, and that was good, but if you really wanna be on good standing with God, you've gotta do this certain set of things. You've gotta keep the Sabbath. You've got to adhere to the dietary laws and all these things that that is counter to really what the goal of our faith is. Paul says this in response, nope. Uh, The goal of faith is fundamental and total transformation. The goal is not a to-do list. The goal is transformation. And we see that in verse 23. There's kind of an interesting, uh, verse 23 says this. um, gentleness and self-control. The law is not against such things. Why does he say that? Why does he say the law is not against such things? Well, I think that essentially what he's saying here is that, look, Galatians, if you're worried about breaking the law, if your life is manifesting these fruits of the Spirit, you're good. That's what the point of the law is supposed to do anyway. It's supposed to point us towards righteous living. So the law's not against the stuff. You won't break the law if you're manifesting these things here. If you're loving well, you're not going to murder somebody, right? Like these fruits lead us towards a more righteous work with God anyway. Um, so if you want to please God, as Paul's point here, submit to him and allow him to transform you. Allow him to actually do the work within you. And that's something we even talked about during our worship time tonight, how it's not us, it's God, God who does the work. When we put our faith in Christ and actually turn our lives over to him, we are putting our flesh, that stuff we talked about last week, our sinful desires and what used to define us to death. It's dead. I know it sometimes doesn't feel like it's dead, does it? It Comes popping up at the most inconvenient times. But, Though we can play dead, though we can get back into our grave clothes, God has called us to live a transformed life. He wants us to be renewed. The Spirit of God actually transforms us into children of God and then empowers us to produce fruit of the Spirit, things we just read about. And this is really what baptism represents. We got to celebrate Rebecca's baptism this past Sunday, uh, which is awesome. There she is. She got baptized. Um, but it's a great illustration for what we're talking about here when Paul in verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When I was uh, when I was a kid, I was going to another church. And at that church, when we did baptism, we would say, buried with Christ in baptism and then raised to walk in newness of life. Here we say raised to live a new life. That's what we have on our T-shirts and everything like that. I like this statement, though. Don't tell anybody, but I do like the statement: "Raised to walk in newness of life." There's a bias there because I grew up with it. But I think that idea of you're raised to a walk with Jesus, a journey, a new life, a new way of doing life with Him, um, which is what baptism is meant to represent. It's not that it's not doesn't save you, doesn't wash away all your sins. Uh, what it does is it's it's a representation of the thing that God has done in your heart fundamentally. He transforms us. He makes us new. If you have any questions about baptism, or if you have never been baptized, let's talk. Uh, Let's get that squared away. It's something we're supposed to do to honor God and obey him. But our goal, as we said last week, our goal is to walk in the Spirit. Only then, as he said in verse 16, will we not gratify the desires of the flesh. But it isn't just what we do or don't do. Rather, I think that a shallow version of Christianity is being overly concerned with what not to do. I think a deeper version of Christianity is what does it mean to be Christ-like? What does it mean to press further into the presence of God and be transformed by His Spirit? That's where it gets much, much deeper. That's when we have to go to that deeper place if we really want to be fruitful in our lives. We want to manifest the fruits of the Spirit. So let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit a bit. Um... The fruit of the spirit is a very well-known passage in scripture. And I posted in the discord a song. Who is familiar with the fruit of the spirit song? Talks about how the fruit of the spirit is not a coconut. If you're like, what the heck is that song? Here's the thing. You got to check it out. It's in the discord. If you're, if you're not in the discord, you're missing out. Um, but, uh, it's a well-known passage of scripture because it's just a good thing to keep in mind about, man, what does it mean to walk in the spirit? And I think all of us have some kind of a song if we grew up in church that associates with the fruit of the Spirit a little bit. Um, We even talked about the fruit of the Spirit a couple weeks ago in Sunday school when Wayne was teaching. But when I look at that list in verses 22 through 23, how am I supposed to understand it? What's the purpose of Paul giving us this list? Well, I want you to think back to our kind of story at the beginning about Blue Lagoon. The description, as I talked about it, it wasn't just me bragging the fact that I went to a great resort. The point of that was to paint a picture and make you think, man, I wish I could go there. I wish I could be there. Hopefully I was successful in that. Um, And I think that this is how we should view the list here in this passage as well. I think it's supposed to give us a joyful expectation of what we can look forward to experiencing and expressing when we are walking with God. It's a mouthful, but essentially what I'm saying here is this. Paul is trying to say, isn't this better? He talks about the fruit of the flesh earlier in the passage, and he compares it here to the fruit of the Spirit. He's doing a compare and contrast, and he's saying, man, when you're walking with God, when you're walking in the Spirit, as we talked about last week, you experience these things it's better. When you're there in the presence of God, these things start popping up in your life. Isn't that better? Wouldn't you rather be there than where you're at right now? That's a freeing way to look at it, because if we're not careful, we can look at this as a checklist. As, okay, where are you weak in? And it's good. It's good to like look at it and say, okay, am I really, am I just lacking in my self-control, my lacking in my joy, or something like that. It's, it's good to do that, but I think if we're not careful, we start making this a workspace thing. When I think that what Paul is doing in this passage is, is trying to draw us away from ourselves and show us that God's way is better and richer and deeper. Um, it should entice us to leave the flesh's lesser things for the greater things of God. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to the fruit. and. There's a lot of different ways you can categorize the fruit of the Spirit, and say, like, this one's outward focus, this one's inward. But since we're talking about a definition of fruitfulness, which is faithful obedience and patient trust in God for growth, let's kind of set up two categories based on our definition and sort the fruit that way. I think we can look at kind of these two ways of sorting it out. Faithful obedience, I think, encapsulates action, right? We're obeying, we're doing something. And then there's an attitude that we have, a patient trust, a patient trust in God for that growth. Let's start with the example of love. Um, Love, I've said it so many times before here, but we've defined love as wanting God's best for someone and taking action to see it happen. That's what Jesus did on the cross. That's how God expressed his love to us at the highest level is the gospel. When we love, in this same way, it redefines everything about us. Love isn't just an emotion. It's not just something that we selfishly pursue for our own self-actualization. Like it's a way that we become Christ-like. We're trying to help other people experience God's best for them. Love is a a deep and rich thing. It's to be the defining characteristic of the Christian, which is what Jesus says in in chapter 13, verse 38 of John. He says, they will know you, they will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. Are we known for our love? Why does Jesus say that? I think he says that because it encapsulates the gospel. Love isn't just this emotion or this feeling, but instead it's an action and a lifestyle that flows out of intimacy with God. When you're closer to God, when you're in his presence, when you're taking time with him and knowing him, and I I love what was said during worship, it's not just about reading your Bible, um, but it's about being with him, being still and listening and being in his presence. When I do those things, I am empowered to love because of how loving he is towards me. It's It's incredible. We love because he first loved us. And 1 John 3.18 connects love and action very, very clearly. If you want to check it out at some point. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, Dear children, let us us not love with word or uh, or speech, but with with truth and action. It's wanting us to do things, not just say we love people. So I think that we can clearly put love under the faithful obedience category. Agree? Yeah. Nods, nods. We'd love to see it. Uh, But what about... Joy. Where do we think joy goes? Patient trust. Spoiler alert. I didn't realize that was the next slide. There it is. Uh, That was a very easy quiz. Uh, Let's talk about joy, though, for a second. I think joy is rooted in hope and confidence. If you want to have a joyful life, there's a fundamental hope in Jesus. A hope that he's good, a hope that he's still with you. And he gives you some confidence as well to, to face the day and the things that are going on. This isn't some constant grinning. It's not some constant, man, that person is always happy. Um, But there's this underlying light that's fueled by the hope of Jesus. It's an attitude at the end of the day that's expressed by your behavior and your countenance. You might not always be smiling, but is there a light about you? If you draw near to Christ, you'll have this kind of joy. The next one is peace. Where do we think peace goes? Patient trust or faithful obedience? Hey, we did it. Awesome. Peace is more than just being Zen. It's different, right? 1 Peter 5, 7 is a great verse to keep in mind when you want to be at peace. Peter is talking about how we should cast all of our cares on Jesus because he cares for us. Peace implies a lack of worry or anxiety. You might struggle with anxiety. You might struggle with With worry and fear. And that's okay. It's okay to have those struggles. Jesus doesn't want you to live there, though. He doesn't want that to be the defining characteristic of who you are. He wants to give you peace, a peace that only he can give you. And Jesus promises to give us this peace. And we're encouraged in Scripture, as I said, to cast all of our cares on him. Trust him with those anxieties. When was the last time that you took your anxieties to God, honestly? I said, I'm worried about this thing here. No matter how big or small or silly or serious you think that it is, when was the last time you took it to God honestly? Pastor cares. He cares about you. What about patience is our next one. What do we think patience was It faithful obedience, patient trust? Hmm... I'd put it in patient trust uh, just because it feels like a layup, right? Like, it'd be weird to say patient trust. Pa- patience is not actually in the patient trust. Uh, that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but I do think that it has to do with an attitude, right? Like, that, Those are the differences that we're making here. Um, I would define uh, patience as this quality, not my wife. But I would define the quality of patience. Like, Christ-like patience is enduring love at the end of the day. If we're going to have a Christ-like patience, it's not just, I'm going to just make it through this day. It's that if we're going to be Christ-like in our patience, there's an enduring love. It's that wanting God's best for someone taking action to see it happen and doing it even when it's inconvenient, even when it's hard. Because it can be easy, right? To love sacrificially for like a little bit. But what about when you have to do it the next day or the next day and the next day? Furthermore than that, I think that patience actually implies a trust. If you're going to be patient with something, you have to trust that it's going to get better or that God's going to move through it or that person is going to grow. Right? You need that kind of fuel from that. Um, And real trust, I believe, is willing and able to be patient. If you struggle with patience, you might be struggling with trust. What about kindness? Where do we think that goes? Patient trust, faithful obedience. Faithful obedience has to <laughs> Andreas is like, I'm telling you, it has to be this. Uh, yeah, I'd say faithful obedience. Um, I would agree. This is uh, when we think about kindness. I think it's living out love. It's love lived out. It's being caring. It's being considerate. It's being thoughtful. It's being a nice person. Are you somebody that people would like describe as a nice person? Christians are supposed to be nice people. We just are. You're supposed to be a source of kindness in people's life. And kindness is a powerful thing because Romans 2.4 tells us that the kindness of God actually draws people to repentance. How does that work? Well, I think it works because when I experience God's kindness towards me, it draws me away from my sin. I want to know him more. I want to I want to be more like him when I experience his kindness. And when we encounter true love and kindness, there's a power that encourages us to change. I think we encounter that even with one another. When someone is truly kind, like it, there's something hopefully that motivates us to want to be better as well. Love covers a multitude of sins, something the Bible says. And I think kindness can cover a multitude of sins because love and kindness pull us from a multitude of sins to something better. Kindness is a powerful thing. What about goodness? This is the next thing on our list? Where do we think that goes? It might be a little trickier. Patient trust or faithful obedience? Faithful obedience. What do we got we got a lot of different thoughts on this. Faithful, oh, points. faithful <laughs> obedience, I would say. Oh, yeah. What is goodness? Right? Like this was probably the hardest part for me when I was like writing all this out and thinking about it. I was like, goodness is being good, I guess. Like why is this a fruit of the spirit? Well, I do think that it's the essential quality of being good but what makes something good? We talked about that all the way back when we talked about Genesis chapter 1, right? God calls something good when that something is operating within his design for that something. Remember he looked at the light and called it good not because it's light but because it's doing what he said it should do. He looked at a giraffe and said, That's good, not because it was cool looking. It was, but it was also because it's doing what He designed it to do. So, in this respect, I think that perhaps we can think of goodness as the character quality of living as God intended. Living as God intended. It's worshiping Him, it's obeying Him. Not so that He'll love us, but because he loves us, because his spirit's within us, this wells up and just manifests in our life. What about faithfulness? This one should be a layup. Faithfulness, faithful obedience. Yes, yeah, we got it. I would say faithfulness goes into faithful obedience. Um, I think it's similar to patience, but uh, I think we can sum it up by saying it's following God even when it isn't easy when it isn't convenient, flashy, or popular? Not just when everybody's watching, um, but when you're in the seclusion of your dorm, when you're in your room, or when you're around a certain group of friends. Are you going to stay faithful to Jesus? Are you a faithful Christian? When you examine your life, are you? The good news is that if you struggle with faithfulness, um, you're not alone, which is good, right? But the better news is that if you want to be more faithful in your stand against your desires, faithfulness flows from intimacy with God. Again, it's not just do better. That's not the word of the gospel. The gospel is that, hey, God has done it. Live in that, rest in that, draw near to him. This is true of all the fruit that we're talking about here. But faithfulness is not grown by trying harder in our own strength. It's grown by truly connecting to the presence of God consistently. That's what we talked about when we talked about walking with him. God provides us with the strength that we need to be faithful to him. What about gentleness? Gentleness, where do we think that goes? Someone in the back over here, what do you guys think? Faithful obedience survey says faithful obedience. Faithful obedience. Incredible. Incredible. Thank you. Um, gentleness. I think we can sum it up by saying it's humility and sensitivity lived out. Patience worked as a preschool teacher for a number of years, and I've been around her when she's worked with little kids. And one of the things she says, maybe this is a thing that they all say, correct me if I'm wrong. But she'll be working with little kids, and they'll be like roughhousing or something, and she'll say, no, no, gentle hands. Gentle hands. Just kind of telling them, hey, let's be gentle with one another. We sometimes need that reminder in our own lives as well. Do we have gentle hands with the people around us? Or do we treat them with our biases? Do we put ourselves first? Or are we being humble and sensitive what they need. If you're not sure what it actually looks like to live out gentleness, look no further than Jesus and the way that he handled the least of these. The way that he was sensitive towards the woman at the well or Lazarus and his family or the children that, that came up to him. There's countless examples of Jesus personifying gentleness for us and it's a quality of being near to God. When you're near to God, there's this gentleness that comes because you recognize how gentle God is with you in your heart. And it gives you that ability to be that way with other people as well. What about self-control? Faithful obedience or patient trust? Faithful. Faithful obedience in every sense. Yeah, faithful obedience. Um, I think it's similar uh, to faithfulness when we think about this. Um, it's saying no to yourself. Romans 12, 1 through 2, is a great passage to look over. Uh, it says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. As I mentioned, it's, it's similar to faithfulness. If faithfulness is saying yes to God, even when it's hard, self-control is saying no to yourself, even when you want to say yes. It's that kind of opposite of it. Um, you're saying no to yourself, and no to the things that displease God. It can be a challenge to do, but something that's worth just looking at in your life, not necessarily what sin do you struggle with, but I'm just kind of asking you a general question. Think about this, don't answer this out loud. But do you you exercise much self-denial in your life in general? The answer is no, you're going to struggle with self-control. Discipline overflows in our life. When we have the discipline to say no to the cake, or the discipline to say no to our own desires or whatever, then we can exercise discipline in other places too. Absolutely, this flows from the fruit of the Spirit. But we can look at our own lives and diagnose a problem with self-control and say, man, if you're struggling in one particular sin that has to do with self-control, do you, have a, do you have a habit of just doing whatever you want and everything else? Check yourself against that. You might have a habit of self-denial. Maybe you deny yourself through working out. Maybe you deny yourself through your diet. Or you deny yourself through the entertainment that you do or do not consume. Maybe you deny yourself through certain relationships. All of this is great. We have all of these fruits of the Spirit. It should be encouraging. But obviously, the question at this point is: okay, how do I get there? How do I produce these fruits? Right? How do we get to Blue Lagoon? Um, well, the answer is in our definition, right? It's in God for growth. Faithful obedience and patient trust in God for growth. Look back at verse 16 of chapter 5 says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then in verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. When we live by the Spirit, in abiding unity with Jesus, we will live a life that produces these fruits. It happens. It's a description of this kind of life that we can expect to have will be in the right place to experience and express all of these fruits. Just like I'm telling you, if you you go all the way to Iceland and you go to the place, you'll experience the really cool water as well. You just have to get there. And And you get there spiritually here through leaning into Jesus and taking time with him, not to earn his favor, but to be near his presence. And we talked about what does it look like to have a healthy relationship with God. We don't do these things because God will love us more. But we do these things to draw near to him, to experience his spirit filling us up. We talk about daily connection. That's your quiet time. It's not just a, hey God, check in for a second, and I'm off. Instead, it's a daily connection to say, okay God, let's go through this day together. It's getting on the train with God, not getting on your own train and saying goodbye to him at the station. Then weekly worship, it's so important to have time worshiping with the saints whether you're able to make it to a church on Sunday or if you if this is your church service cuz you work on Sunday like I get it schedules are crazy but having some time to be in worship with brothers and sisters in Christ is important it's important for your spiritual growth cuz you hear testimonies you hear different perspectives on things that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise and you get a chance to worship in community monthly communion Uh, That doesn't have to do with the Lord's Supper, but I had to put something after the word monthly. Um, What I would say is that's that unhurried time with God. We talk about this all the time. Are you taking unhurried time with God where you're not checking the watch, you're just sitting and listening, and you want to listen to what his heart has to say? You're reading the word, journaling, maybe you're going to a park. There's a lot of different ways to have unhurried time with God. And then community throughout, are you engaging in your Christian community around you? Are you sharing about the things that you're learning in Scripture and the ways that God is giving you victory in your life? Because here's the thing, guys. Accountability is not just, I messed up again. Accountability is also testimony time, talking about the things that God is doing in your life. Share those with one another. That builds community. If you want to feel connected to the people around you, share about what God's doing in your life. It'll enrich you. And all of these things, I believe, push us deeper into the presence of God so we experience his fullness and begin to live out the fruits of the Spirit. Because at the end of the day, and we're going to look at this next week, uh, Katie Reed Hodges is going to be here and talk us through John 15, but to hopefully not steal her thunder too much, John 15 verse 4 says, Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you produce fruit unless you remain in me. By the way, that's Jesus talking. Jesus says you can't do this on your own. The only way that you experience the full richness of God is by being connected to Jesus. Being truly connected to him at a heart level. So, as a kind of concluding question, have you connected with Jesus? I mean that in a lot of different ways. Have you taken time today to connect with Jesus? Or was the day just so busy? Just kind of got away from you? It's okay, it happens. But there's tomorrow, and his mercies are new every morning. Take some time to connect with him tomorrow. But at a different level, do you belong to Jesus? Verse 24 of our passage says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. As I said a minute ago, the gospel is not a story of do better. It's not. It's a story about what Christ has done. What the Bible tells us is that we were on our own. We were going our own way, and we chose to do that. And what we found, and what you eventually will find if you continue to go your own way, is that our own way doesn't lead us into deeper intimacy with God. Naturally, what it does is it leads us into deeper lostness, deeper brokenness, and deeper confusion. So, what did God do? He loved us. He wanted his best for us, and he took action to see it happen. He sent Jesus to show us what a fruitful life could look like. Because here's the thing. The fruit of the Spirit isn't just a description of a great place where you could be if you had personal intimacy with God. Well, that's true. It's a description of Jesus. Jesus. This is who Jesus is. He is loving. He is patient. He is gentle. He's all these things. Jesus lived that out, not just to show us, hey, imagine if you could do this. He lived it out so that he could take all of your sin and my sin, those things that easily trip us up, those things that cause us to worry and doubt and feel miserable. He took all of that on his back. He paid the ultimate price on the cross. He died, and he put it to death, just like it said in this passage. Then he rose again three days later. And what that does, it shows us that, man, the penalty for sin is death. But because Christ has paid the penalty, death works in reverse. It no longer applies to him. And now what he offers you and me is the chance to have death no longer apply to us either. And that we can live a fruitful life just like he did if we'll put our trust in him, if we'll turn from our ways, believe that he is who he said he was, and then commit our life to him. When you do that, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit enters your life and you're transformed. You might still struggle with some stuff, but at a fundamental core level, you are transformed and you begin that walking and newness of life that is represented through baptism have you done that? Have you connected to Jesus? Are you connected to the line or are you trying to be fruitful on your own? Trying to do a life that matters, that means something on your own power? Have you connected with him or not? Our challenge and our question as we close out here in our groups in a second. The challenge is this. I mean, the challenge every week is like, it's optional. You could do this if you want to. I'm trying to give you a a practical step so that you can grow in your faith. Here's the challenge I would ask you. Schedule a time to have unhurried time with God in October. It's about to be October, by the way. Oh my gosh, can you believe it? Whoa, here we go. Um, It won't happen if you don't schedule it. It just won't. Like your schedule is busy, my schedule is busy. I want you to look at your calendar, hopefully you have a calendar by now, in college you need a calendar, uh, and then ask for accountability from somebody in your group that you talk with tonight. Say, so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna schedule this at this time. Or if you're not sure when you're gonna schedule it tonight, have somebody follow up with you so that you schedule some time to have unhurried time with God. And then the question after that, if you get the, after we all do some scheduling together, um, after you do that, what's your response to tonight? What are you going to do with what we've talked about? Maybe you need to turn to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks, you've heard about it, and now it's time to make that decision. Maybe you have made that decision, but you've never followed Jesus in baptism or you have some questions about that. Um, Man, let's talk. Or maybe it's this call to that healthy lifestyle of a Christian walk. I need to pursue Jesus in a deeper way. Let me pray, and then we'll break up into our groups, and I'll give instructions for that. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for an incredible time in worship. Thank you for um, the richness of your word, the hope that we have in the gospel. God, thank you that you save us from to-do lists of righteousness in our own power. Father, I pray that each person here in the sound of my voice would experience a richer walk with you this week. So when we come back from this Thursday to next, I pray that we would have testimonies of your goodness, testimonies of your fruit. Would help us to taste and see that you are good. Move in our lives and move through these conversations. In your name I pray, amen.